Greetings. Let's go ahead and open this meeting with a moment of silence, followed by the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I'm Fernando. I am in double winner in three fellowships. I go to AA, NA, Elanon, Overeaters, Gamblers. I visited Sex Anonymous, CODA. Um, children for from alcoholic alcoholic children, parents. Right now we're talking about step ten. This seems like every article I pick up is about step ten. Happens to be one of my most intriguing favorite steps, you know, just linear thinking. Cut to the chase, step 10. Here's an article sent to us by Shanda from Nebraska. And it's it's entitled, Step 10, Take Me Out of My Comfort Zone. Continue to take personal inventory and when we're wrong, promptly admitting it. In my years of practicing the Elanon program and AA, Step 10 has been an unmatchable gift that I have grown to rely upon. My children were five and three old when I entered the program. By learning to admit them when I was wrong in many situations, it has been evident in their own lives growing up that it's okay to be human and make mistakes. What a relief and a blessing it is to be able to be myself and have others know who I am, warts and all. I am an accountant. When I make a mistake at work, I can have very damaging results to others. It can have. I have learned the benefit of promptly admitting when I'm wrong, and it has been a lifesaver. I believe step 10 has made me physically healthier and emotionally stronger. My favorite quotation today is, Life begins at the end of my comfort zone. <laughs> Life begins at the end of my comfort zone. I believe step 10 takes me out of my comfort zone and into a much fuller life. And that's it. Where do we go from here? I guess that was it. There's no uh, punctuation mark or period or anything there. All right, let's go ahead, and there's another article here on Step 10. It's just like, whoa. I'm reading to you from the forum. Amen. Here we go. Wow, it's a lot of, this is my first time diving into this article. Pretty cool, huh? Well, well I'm looking for uh, retrieving that that article, let's go ahead and pray the uh, seven-step prayer, please. My creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character that stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me the strength as I go out here to do your bidding. Amen. Okay, I guess this is a series, a uh, series of uh, of articles on the three legacies. 
Concept 10, Tradition 10, and Step 10. Ha! That's the three legacies. Wow, see? Concept 10, Why I Felt Less Than. Concept 10, Service Responsibility is balanced by careful defined service authority and double-headed management is avoided. Again, Concept 10, Service responsibility is balanced by careful defined service authority. Concept 10 is important in both my personal and professional life. Growing up in an alcoholic home, I experienced the destructive results of not allowing someone the authority to do the job, yet expecting them to be responsible for the outcome. At a very young age, I was given the responsibility of babysitting my younger brother. I had to make sure he was safe, that he was ready for bed, and that he eventually went to sleep. Today, I realized that there was a big responsibility for an 11-year-old. At times, I was required to discipline him to keep him from harming himself or to get him to do what he was supposed to do. Yet all I had to do was to report to my mother that I had not allowed him to do something he wanted to do, which resulted in my being immediately chastised and told I was wrong. I was never asked why I took the particular action. His version was always taken a face value. As a result, I felt incompetent, less than, and chose to do other expected duties less thoroughly. This behavior pattern carried over into my adult life and into the workplace. At the beginning of a new job, I gave it my all. But as time went on and I started to feel less than because I was not receiving adequate support or direction from my supervisor, I immediately began to lose my commitment to that job. And things went downhill from there. Today, I realize that this is a pattern from the past which only I can change. I can try to resolve the problem by bringing it to a supervisor's attention and continue to do my part. Or, if indeed the problem is with the supervisor or company I'm working for, I can decide to seek employment elsewhere. Good article. Now, <clears throat> Tradition 10. How to stay focused on Alman's main purpose. How to stay focused on Alman's main purpose. Oh, the last story was by Valerie R. from Nebraska. The second story, or tradition, concept, how to stay focused on Al-Anon's main purpose, tradition. Ten, the Al-Anon family groups have no opinion on outside issues, hence our name will never be drawn into public controversy. By Tom K., California. Let me, for me, tradition ten is about live and let live. Guardian, Elanon's name isn't just doing so at the level of press, radio, TV, internet, and films. This tradition applies to all discussions in our meetings as well. I have been to meetings where people comment on the damage that was done growing up in a family of a, a specific religious belief, where guilt was condoned and the whole group broke into laughter. We cannot control a cultural norm of laughing at certain religious bu- religions. But at the group level, we can avoid mentioning the specific religion we are referring to as a way of avoiding having newcomers think that Elna has an opinion on that religion. 
After all, for many, their home group is their only connection to Elnon, since they don't get to conventions or district and area-wide events. The same goes for complaining about or complimenting politicians at the group level. It is likely to get a laugh politicians are comedians' favorites target. But again, newcomers may think that we are in alignment with certain politics view. When I was a newcomer, myself, esteem was in the gutter and my small statement could send me, any small statement can send me into a I don't fit in mode. How do we all get so close to in Alnon? We are such a diverse bunch of damaged souls when we stumble into our first meeting. We are homeless, wealthy, old, and young, all races, creeds, sexual orientations, and political orientations. I think paying attention to Tradition 10 is about staying focused on our unity of purpose, helping families and friends of alcoholics. All right, all right, let's go ahead and finish this off. Here's an article of... One of the things that saved me when I first came into the program and helped me, lifesaver, when I was out at work and the mind was running overtime, wouldn't stop thinking, the slogans. The slogans played a big part in my life. Keep it simple. Easy does it. One day at a time. But for the grace of God, let go and let God. Let go of the situation. Get my hands off of it. Hand it over to God. God's hands are bigger, stronger, and he can, he can soothe me while working on it. Here's an article from New Zealand by Viviani B. A Renew Appreciation for Alnon Slogans. When I first came to Alnon, I thought the sl- Slogans, excuse me, were trite and old-fashioned. After a few months, I realized how wonderful they truly are. I use them all the time now. When I broke my ankle at a concert and was carried out on a stretcher to the hospital, they became constant tools. I was afraid and in terrible pain. I knew I was in the right place, but I needed to let go and let God take care of me. There was a long wait to see someone, then more long waits for x-rays and admittance to the hospital. I knew I needed to take one day at a time. Once in the ward, shared with two other others, I needed to live and let live, as they sometimes had visitors outside visiting hours and did things that were outside my experience and comfort zone. I also needed to mind my own business as on doctor's rounds, as I could hear what was wrong with these women, and one was a client of mine, I kept all this information confidential. After a three-day wait for my operation with no food or water until late each day, I needed to use Easy Does It and trust that in time I would get my operation and that my higher power would take care of me. Now at home, I have needed to keep it simple. I have a plaster cast and cannot put any weight on my right leg. I have simple needs and often just make myself a salad, which is quick and easy. Amen. My, and it continues. My flat is not as clean as I would like it to be. 
Wonderful friends bring meals, do the dishes, and put things in the wrong places. And I think, how important is it? What is important is all the love and care I have had from a huge range of wonderful, caring friends. As I hop around on my crutches, I use think constantly. I need to be particularly organized, have everything I need close by in order to avoid excess hopping around. I face a long 18-month recovery time and I am back to until I, until I am back to normal. I know that every day I am progressing and I think progress not perfection. I saw many people in the hospital who were worse off than me who were behaving badly and I knew they didn't have, have my wonderful program to give them the tools they needed to live serenely with joy and hope and I think but for the grace of God that that would be me. The Al-Anon program has taught me how to live my life. This injury has given me time off from work to read my conference approved literature to think and meditate and grow. Beautiful, beautiful articles of intelligence. Articles of poise. Articles of value. Articles that give us weight for the long run. You know, some of our our computers that we have are pretty big, pretty amazing. They can take an incredible amount of information and process it. I believe what I'm getting to understand is that we're not putting enough into our computers, enough information for our bodies to be happy, joyous, and free, to to kick start the the wonder and the gratitude of heavy read what heavy reading does. That's my uh, my take. Um, uh, let's go ahead and finish off with the Lord's Prayer, please. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. Keep coming back. It's working. Thank you. My name is Joe, and I'm an alcoholic. Um, so uh, my sobriety date is December 6, 2015. And um, thank you, Victor, for inviting me uh, out. And thank you all for, for also inviting me uh, to be here today. Um, like many of us, that was not my situation when I first came into these rooms. Um, just to uh, quickly let you know, um, I, uh, I was homeless. I was living with my brother, and I was being kicked out of the house I was living with. Um, my, I was beaten and left in a coma, uh, in an open field in Riverside to die by these people I was drinking with. And, um, my parents just, my family had an intervention. So, uh, uh, I had nowhere to go. 
So um, I understand what they say. Uh, when I walked in, it really was the last house on the block for me. I had no other options. And also that gift of desperation, you know. Um, I did not um, believe that that was going to be my situation when I started drinking. You know, I was 16, and like many of us, it was fun. You know, house parties, you know, uh, keggers, um, beer bongs, you know, um, Mickey's. Uh, I loved them because they were big. They taste like crap, but it got me there. And it got me there fast, you know. And um, as a kid, I had a lot of these uh, built-up fears and anxieties that I didn't understand back then, you know. And I just uh, was uncomfortable under my skin. And when I drank, it just was like... I love the effect, like it talks about, you know, in the book. You know, it made me feel, uh, feel fun. Everything was fun, and so that time, um, I could have fun, and I enjoyed it. Um, as a result, I wanted more of it, and I wanted it as often as I could get, you know. So it quickly became where it wasn't just a uh, weekend thing, where um, I was now uh, at work, drinking at work, and... Um, you know, carrying it into my life, it was uh, slowly becoming like a priority. Um, jobs. I had a lot of uh, jobs, good jobs, paying jobs, where my parents, uh, actually my family, pulled a lot of strings, union jobs, high-paying jobs. And um, as I was becoming heavier in my disease, like I said, it was just more of a pri priority, the alcohol that... Um, that nothing mattered, you know. These looked as obstacles for me, you know. And um, I remember one of my uh, jobs, or uh, I was just drinking, and um, the person I was living with was walking out. I was like, are you going to work? I was like, no, not today. And that was my MO. You know, I've lost all of those jobs uh, by mail, so many of them, because I never even just showed up, you know, by certified mail. And... Um, you know, it was apparent to my friends and family, and um, the biggest thing that happened for me was in uh, 2012, I went out, and um, I was, I met these people in Riverside that I could drink, that drank the way that I drank, you know, uh, it was, it was everything, you know, and they didn't care, and, um, and I was drinking with them, per usual, I was in a black up, I don't know what happened, but they found me uh, in an open field, uh, beaten in a coma, left to die. You know, and through that process, I um, I learned to walk and talk again throughout a year. You know, uh, luckily, I, the grace of God, I didn't die. And um, I had no solution. You know, I had, a, you know, I was still based on self through that process. I was just dry for that year. And sure enough, once I got my license back after that year, I went back out. And I went back out to that same exact people, the same people, you know, uh, to, uh, who had beaten me up before, you know. Um, why is that important? Because it really, um, looking back now, it gave me the understanding that, you know, I'm powerless, you know, through that process. I remember driving over there, looking in the rearview mirror, saying, what are you doing, Joe? Like, stop. Like, they're going to kill you again, maybe this time, you know. And I didn't understand. And I also had no, uh, no control to stop as much as I, I wanted to or thought I wanted to. Um, understandably, when I went back out, I was on the spree for, you know, a couple of days, weeks. And when I came back, my family had that intervention, which was, now I can see, was a good thing, you know, a blessing. But um, 
they told me basically, you can do whatever you're doing. We just don't want to be involved anymore, you know. <clears throat> and um, like I said, my brother I was living with at the time, it's like, you know, you can't live here. You know, when the weekend comes, pack up your stuff. And so I just walked into the program of AA. And I'd like to give you uh, some idea that I did something unique or different, but I didn't, you know. Um, I walked in, and this time I took a lot of action. I did what was suggested. You know, I got a sponsor. You know, um, he was active. He knew the big book, and, um, and he was committed. So, you know, just like uh, it was mentioned, you know, one of my first things that I did was a chili cook-off, you know. And I, I was new, you know, but he was like, come on, you know, and, and put me in the work. And it was good for me because um, it was what I needed at that time because my mind was crazy, you know. And um, a lot of action and just continual action. You know, we got into the books, you know, uh, being of service at um, conventions. I've been on, on committees for that. Uh, I've sponsored people. It's just um, putting myself in the middle of the pack, like they say, you know. And um, for that, I have a good life today. What's it like today, you know? I actually live with somebody who's in program. And, you know, I don't necessarily agree with her on this, but she's like, she, she jokes with me, she's like, you have a charmed life. But I don't. You know, I mean, I have a good life. I'm very blessed. You know, maybe it's because I'm still single, right? <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, you know, um, my family, the ones that my brother that kicked me out, you know, I was able to rebuild connections with him. And I ended up, uh, two years ago, buying a house with him. You know, and when he asked me, I was like, are you sure? Like a house. We're not just buying clothes or something. And he was like, no, you know. I mean, and that's that's what my life is today. I'm trusted, you know. I'm able to uh, to be a part of the world where before I just looked at myself as, as the world was something for me to overcome, you know, and that was unusual or different or unique, you know. I'm not. I'm able to go ahead and be a part of it and 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 enjoy it, you know, for all that it has to offer, good and bad. It's not to say that my life is perfect. I just, most recently, um, a friend of mine, a really good friend of mine that I've known in the program since I first came in, um, she didn't make it, you know. And she called me that day, every day, and that day that she passed, you know. And I remember when she called me, she's like, Joey, you know, I, I'm having a hard time. And I was like, it's okay. I'm going to see you at the Monday night. You know, I just got off work. I'm putting on my clothes. I'll be right there with you. You know, I love you. You know, um, she, wait for me in the parking lot. And by the time I got there two hours later, you know, she didn't make it. You know, and, and it's a blessing, though, to go ahead and still be able to, as a result of that, be with her family and support them and love them. But also, too, a good reminder to me that, you know, that I can go at any time. And I, it's just a one-day-at-a-time program, and that's all any of us do have, you know. And as much as she was such a good soul, you know, and such a kind person, and so beautiful, I mean, she was everybody, yeah. Um, you know, it takes work, and it takes action, you know, and it takes commitment, you know. And God bless Victor. You know, when, when he asked me to go ahead and leave, you know, I'm still an alcoholic. I was like, okay, what do I wear? What's it, it going to be? What's the time? What's this? What's that? And he was like, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, all right. You know, and um, it's a good thing I wear a suit, right? <laughs> so that's what I know. But, um, but, I, but I'm, I'm, I just show up and suit up and show up, 
you know, and that's what I've been taught. I'm glad that, you know, when I got my, uh, my sponsor, you know, he had people who showed him in the lineage that he had, uh, just the basics of keeping it simple, you know, and, um, that's why I continue to fall back on today, you know, with the, the whole pandemic and changes and stuff going on in the world, you know, I'm able to go ahead and process and walk through certain things like my friend not making it and hard and difficult situations um, where before I used to drink. And, uh, and that's what the whole program is about for me today. You know, it's not about this me being perfect and me being everything right or wrong or black and white. It's about, you know, um, being flexible, adjusting, and putting forth, you know, the best that I can, and, um, and I get one more day, you know, and, um, and that's why today I have a happy life, and, I, and I'm so grateful for all of you to the program about Hot Anonymous and, uh, and AA today, so thank you. Right on the money, right? When you give me some a timer. Okay, we are self-supporting through our own contributions. Um, do we have somebody that's going to come up and uh, do uh, the seven traditions? Take care of, take care of. Oh, it's already, okay. Oh, okay. Well, then I owe you for that. Um, all right. Well, then uh, tonight our speaker is uh, Victor. Oh, Ortega. Ortega and I am an alcoholic. Victor. And I'd like to thank Les for inviting me to be here. Why does it look like less people are here now that the food's gone? <laughs> I haven't turned around in a while. It seems a little smaller. My name is Victor Ortega. I'm an alcoholic. Like I said, thank you, Les. Thank you, Joe, for agreeing to, uh, to meet me out here and uh, do this little event, this Friday night fun with me. Love Joe. He, he does have a charm life. Don't let his, his woe is me attitude fool you. This guy is loved and, and uh, loved in our home, in our home groups of Chino, in Chino. And for valid reasons. For valid reasons. This program is amazing. The things that it does for us, I'm already speaking to the choir, except for you. You may not know yet how awesome this program is. How, I'll use the word miraculous. Um life can change and thank god for that because uh life was pretty ugly for me and i think you guys can relate to that um i have a sponsor uh roy a uh he has 23 years um my sobriety date is november 29th 2008 i'm currently rocking 13 years of sobriety days and nights weekends leap year all that um and without a doubt, it has been the best 13 years of my life. I got sober at 35. And prior to getting sober, I had a ton of adventures. I mean, before it got ugly, it was rad. Had a lot of great times. I'll tell you a little bit about it. But, man, when it started getting ugly, it did not ease up. And 
Well, let me give you a more detailed version of that. So I'm the youngest of four. Growing up in my household, uh, it was a bit of a scary place. Pops was a heavy drinker. Back then, he was a different man. Um, he's right. Uh, he was rough. Thank you. He was a rough dad. Um, and I was the youngest of four. And so I, I saw... I saw a lot of fighting. I saw a lot of violence. I saw a lot of scary moments. There are a few times being a young boy, I threw clothes and PJs and pillow cases getting ready to run away. I just got to get out of here. There are a few times I needed to leave that place just because it was so scary to me. There are so many times of fighting and yelling and arguing. It became normal to me. And it, my home was, the lessons I learned in home were lessons I learned about the world. For me, and I think that's pretty characteristic of humans. Um, for example, one lesson that I learned was at any moment, life can get really scary. Things can get upside down, and the peaceful moments I'm experiencing, I'm, I'm enjoying, could be taken, and it could just, it could, it could flip, it could switch. You know, I was on. I learned to be on guard. Like, are they yelling again? Is that my brothers? Is that crashing? Am I hearing things really escalating? Am I hearing things get crazy? That became a norm in our household. And so me witnessing it, I began to expect it. I began to anticipate it, <laughs> like on, be on guard for it. And being on guard for scary and violence and frightening, lo and behold, it leaves somebody with a lot of anxiety. <laughs> like it's not very, I'm on guard, I'm tense, I'm ready for it, the shoot a drop. And I had no idea I was being, uh, I was developing such patterns of anxiety. Our fear. I loved how liter our literature talks to talks to us about how fear-driven I am. I remember reading about this in lessons of how fear-driven I am, humans, alcoholics, and uh, that really opened my eye. I had no idea how frequently my brain told me or gave me fearful messages. Oh, you know, watch out for this. You're not going to like this. From radical extreme fear to like little small fear, I often my brain gives me messages of fear and for so long something I, i'm not gonna like this oh i gotta speak at the park i'm not gonna do a good job oh the hamburgers the dog's gonna bite me you know whatever it might be less isn't gonna approve Ooh, how about that fear oh no, Yo, no. <laughs> the job i do i'm gonna disappoint less ah, fear always coming at me and it has my whole life and it wasn't until aa that I learned that I could challenge some of these beliefs, some, some of my thoughts, some of my feelings, that feelings aren't fact. It's important that I validate them because I spend a lot of time running from my feelings and acting as if they're not real. So finding that balance between running from them, being immersed in them, to just as in a, in healthy of a manner as I can, accept them, honor them, but challenge them. Feel free to challenge them. I, I think that comes with lessons of humility that everything my brain tells me isn't accurate i have enough evidence that shows me a lot of stuff my brain tells me isn't accurate at all so you know look at that evidence dare to look at that evidence victor and when i dare to look at that evidence it's amazing how much freedom i'm able to find you know the courage the willingness to challenge some of my my thoughts is what provides me freedom and liberation from my thoughts the trap the biggest uh, obstacle I have to deal with <laughs> are the things that happen between my ears, my perceptions, my feelings, my concerns, my fears. And it's always just going to be perspective for me. And I never was really good at changing perspective. 
not until coming to AA. And so for a long time, I lived with this anxiety, with negative self-talk. Um, junior high in the 70s was weird. Uh, I remember when I wanted girls to start liking me, and it didn't really feel like any of the girls were. <laughs> like, I wanted them to like me, but they weren't having the same feelings. They had a brother boys that felt like to me. And I'm trying to do things, but the fashion was weird in the mid-80s. I spent a lot of time with the blow dryer, trying to get this perfect hair, this perfect... I'm not pointing at you because you went through it, but you've heard the story before. Trying to get this perfect pompadour. I thought it was, uh, that would be the ticket to attracting girls. It sounds very Animal Kingdom. Very peacocky. Trying to do the feathers. Um, and it never worked out. So this less than feeling stuck with me. I carried it in high school. In high school, I met, uh, well, let's just say some other losers. We came together, we banded together, a bunch of uh, unpopular kids, and we would hang out together. And similar to Joe's story, it started with me really like freshman year, junior high to, to the high school, uh, house parties, um, keggers, uh, hanging out at the park. You know, um, We had one friend who had a, a bucket. You know, one friend who had a car, it was just a bucket. And we'd pile into that and we'd go to house parties. And, and I remember one of my first experiences, the red plastic cup, going to the keg, pumping that thing, you know, drinking. I remember this component of that night, Southern Comfort, so some, some SoCo going around. That got off a horrible taste of Southern Comfort. It is a disgusting liquid. That is so wonderful at the time. It's, oh, that, that taste. And it's like, ah, oh, it does the job. It does the job. I like chemicals. When you mentioned chemicals, so I was like, oh, what kind of chemicals are in, are in these, these baskets that we're raffling off? Um, Southern Comfort's a heck of a chemical. And uh, so I was drinking that. I'm mixing. I'm young. I'm a teenager. I got a, a weird hairstyle pompadour. I'm trying to be cool. I want to feel a part of, I want to feel connected, I want that connection, uh, I'm smoking Lucky Strike, non-filter cigarettes, because that'll make me cool, and uh, the magic of alcohol started to do what it does, I started to feel like the girls liked me, I started to feel like the cool guys were accepting of me, and they were laughing at my jokes, and I felt a part of, and of course I went too far, and I drank too much, and next thing I know, I'm, I'm, I'm blacking out, I'm acting a fool, I'm passing out, and my friends, they left me in some backyard furniture. Uh, that house party was a, was a, somebody we knew, and they had let Vic sleep it off here. And I remember waking up in the next morning, really, really cold, um, vomit on my shirt, freezing, yeah, free, head, splitting headache, and uh, trying to get back inside the house. Hey, guys, let me in. And uh, one of the first thoughts I had was, this was, that was awesome. When do I get to do this again? I wasn't focused on how foolish I might have been behaving, on the vomit, on the headache. I think what stood out to me was that anxiety and fear that usually takes place in my head, it was gone. I had experienced a moment of reprieve from that, and I liked that. I liked feeling a part of, I liked not feeling less than, I liked not being afraid. Uh, I liked feeling that connection that I had with other people. And so suddenly my life now has purpose, and, you know, by the time I was, a, you know, so me and the boys were going to house parties. If there wasn't a house party, we'd come to a park and we'd find a dark place and bongs and 40 ounces. Uh, boys in the Hood was, 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 was popular around that area, era. 
and we have our 40 ounces and St. Ives and Mickey's and King Cobra, you know, just anything that we could afford. Uh, quantity over quality was our teenager's motto. And we'd get together and we'd, you know, we'd pour a little, dead, a little of the 40 out for the dead homies, you know, because that's what they, we didn't have any dead homies. But uh, the movies, the movies said that that's what you should do. And so we did that, but not too much because I needed it. And we kind of like grew up challenging each other, pushing each other who could uh, drink the most. And at that time, I, I, I learned I, that I like to not be sober. I, I like very much to be as loaded as possible. And so like I'm drinking my alcohol, I'm smoking my alcohol, I'm snorting my alcohol, I'm popping my alcohol. We were experimenting with a lot of substances, a lot of different things. We were listening to a lot of Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, and The Doors at that time, and Depeche Mode and NWA. We were just trying to be cool. And uh, by the time I was a senior in high school, I had an everyday habit of I'm going to get loaded. I'm going to at least catch a buzz every day. Every day. I'm an 18-year-old with this. Somehow, whether it's a couple beers from my dad's refrigerator, uh, something. And I went to, I started a community college. I went community college, I went to Mount Sac, Mount San Antonio College here in Walnut. Beautiful, beautiful school. I love it so much. I went there for most of the 90s. It's a two-year school. It's a two-year school. I was there, started in 1991. I dropped out in 95 to join a reggae band. Um, reggae wasn't very big in the 90s. I'm going to tell you this, it was a heck of a party scene. Great party scene. And I remember the day I told my parent, my family, hey, I'm going to drop out of school. I'm going to go move into the band house. And they're like, Vic, you don't play an instrument or sing. What are you talking about? So I'm joining the band, guys. Don't worry about me. <laughs> if, you, if you had some percussion instruments, you could join. I played maracas on stage in Hollywood. I played little rhythm sticks. I was on stage. Play, 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 play. I played a triangle one time, and that's a true story. My joke is that I was working all sides of the triangle well before coming to AA. That's just a nerdy AA joke. Um, I ended up moving back home. When it dawned on me, I wasn't going to be able to wasn't going to be able to pull off being a, a Partridge Family kid. I had to move back home, and that happened many times in my life. And I went back to that junior school, uh, junior college school, Mount San Antonio, great place. I have so many units from going there for so long. Um, and I graduated, my friend and I, we finally walked in 1998, 99, and we were so loaded, so loaded. When I graduated high school, we were, we were Blitz Creek. You know, like we were a lot, whereas like a lot of kids will go to Disneyland here in SoCal when they graduate high school. My friends and I, we went to TJ, just because that was appropriate for us. That's, that's our happiest place on earth. 18 and over. 18 and over. You know, I lived a long time without experiencing any major, noticeable, unavoidable consequences. There were consequences going on, but I was able to avoid them. Going on in my life, I was able to paint red flags white. That's not a red flag. That's not a warning flag. And I had enablers. I had friends who helped protect me from experiencing the full consequences of my drinking and my choices. And another thing is I, I, hung, I always spent time hanging around people who were drinking and, and partying the way I was. So it normalized my behavior. I wasn't the odd duck. I wasn't anything, ooh, Victor. In a lot of circles, I would be. But with around the people I'm hanging around with, just normal. It normalized my behavior. 
I look back at my life and I look at what used to be normal and it's so foreign now. It's so crazy and distant and unmanageable and insane, truly. When I look back at it now, my life today is so much different. But at that time, it just seemed normal and it just seemed like the way I was going to live for the rest of my life. This is never going to change. I'm always going to need to have uh, gum on me and clear eyes because it gets the red out. It gets the red out. The gum for lots of different reasons, but... Uh, when consequences started happening, uh, they didn't ease up. I remember one time, for example, this was a normal day in my life. I was working with uh, one of my boys from high school. He had a job with his uncle, an environmental company. And so we're driving vehicles, and I would wake up in the morning, and I would, I'm a wake and bake guy. I would do a couple shots, brush my teeth, drive to work, and I'm driving company vehicles. I also drove a 50,000-pound big rig. I had, to have, uh, I had to have a Class B driver's license. And I would drive uh, loaded all the time. And I look back at how selfish and self-centered that was. You know, because if I would have gotten to a fender bender, or even worse, like a really serious accident, I would have been fine. I'm 20 feet up in the air. I'm in a steel tank. But anyone I would have hit would have pancaked. And it would have been the, the end of them easily. But I would justify that. I became very skilled at justifying, minimizing, and rationalizing my behavior so that I could ultimately get what I want. Me and my wants is all that mattered. Satisfying my wants. King baby. Decides just, I'm not able to think about consequences, and I'm not able to think about others. Just me, self-centered at, at my core. I was feeding that for so long. I was, I was engaged for a while to a gal. We moved in together. And all that really did during that time was, I believe, really harness and increase my ability to live with secrets. You know, I, I, she couldn't know all the other party favors I was into. And I, she couldn't know how frequently I was drinking. For example, I'd wake up on a Saturday morning, uh, go downstairs, uh, do a shot of tequila. And if she, I didn't hear any noise, maybe another shot. Go in the backyard, have a smoke, either or. Um, then go back inside. If she still wasn't awake, maybe another shot. And then pop a beer in, uh, pop a beer open. That way if she comes downstairs and, and she smells alcohol in my breath, I could say, well, I just popped this beer in. And if she dared say, well, it's 8.30 on a Saturday. It's 8.30, why, why are you drinking beer? My rationalization, my minimization would be, well, it's Saturday. We're here in San Clemente. It's a beach city. We're going to be going to the beach soon. I'm watching college football. I'm watching college basketball. I'm relaxing. I work hard all week. What's the big deal? One of my favorites, there was a bracelet, WTBD or whatever. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? Not a big deal. Not a big deal is how I always saw things, and it allowed me to lie to myself, to, to, for my alcoholism to survive and to thrive, and that, that's all I wanted. For so long, I wasn't ready to get honest with my, to myself about my life, about my drinking, about my behavior. And as my alcoholism grew over the years, as it increased, my character and integrity uh, decreased. I got into a, an accident once. <laughs> I was on my way to go visit a Big surprise, the fiance thing didn't work out. My, 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 my drinking and secrets, I ruined that. I chose um, my wants over my ability to honor the love that we had and, and that, that precious gift that, that, that we had. And I, I, I threw that relationship away. Actually, that's a lie. I didn't, I did throw it away. I was going to say, I used to say that I lost her. 
But lost is something like accidental, like I lost my keys. What did I do? I misplaced. I didn't misplace her. I didn't misplace relationship. I did throw it away. I chose, I chose drinking and, and, and doing what I wanted over her. I lacked the power to choose otherwise. That was the thing that pushed me the most, to live this type of lifestyle, to satisfy that want, to satisfy that itch. I'm a drink around the clock guy, and I don't care what it is, and I don't care the temperature, and I don't care the taste. I'm a chugger, and that's all that matters to me for so, so long. And one time I was driving to go visit a girlfriend, and I wasn't paying attention, and the truck I was riding, I was driving, went up on the curb, and it hit a cement pole. Whoa. <laughs> it was very shocking to me. And uh, my car, my truck got back on the road, and it was rolling. It's like, what do I do? What do I do? And I didn't really, really, really flee, flee the scene, but I kind of fled because uh, I didn't stay there. But I allowed the truck to roll, and I entered the first parking lot, and I pulled behind a bank because I had to get some stuff out of the car real fast. So the cops are coming. I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? My Class B driver's license. Um, if they're going to give me a DUI test, and there's a breathalyzer, and there's no way I'm going to pass. Because I had been doing shots, I got home from work, I was drinking on the way home. Once I got home, I grabbed two beers to go in the shower, which was normal for me. I did a couple shots as I was getting ready to go visit a girlfriend. But I, you know, I'm like a scientist. I'm, a, I'm an alcoholic scientist. If I do these dr few drinks and these few shots, I won't be fully drunk until the time I get to her house. I won't really be drinking and driving hardcore, just a little buzz. And I can do that fairly well. It'll all time out perfectly. It all fits. And that hitting the pole, when the pole jumped into the middle of the street, or when I jumped into the curb, I would want to see it, it ruined my plan. And um, I saw the pole fall. The pole eventually fell. It caused more accidents. I saw fire department come. I saw the police. I'm like, oh, this isn't good. Even I could recognize that. And I grabbed my phone. I flipped it open, and I dialed the number, and I called my girlfriend at the time. And I was able to convince her to come drive to the scene, tell the police that she was driving, I was nowhere near, oh. that she left, yes, oh. Oh, my God. Yes. Alcoholism rising, character and integrity decreasing. Self-centeredness ruling my life. Impulses, obsessive thoughts, no ability to think about repercussions, uh, how it might affect other people. In 2008, uh, it all came to a head. I had been a shaky drunk for so long, you know, drinking all the time, shaking. Uh, my boss was my boy. I'd known, I known this friend of mine since we were teenagers. And uh, we were tight, man. We were tight. I'd flown to Boston to be in his wedding. I was one of the groomsmen. I'm the godfather to their only daughter. They, they, they party and they drink his, his wife just the way I do, just the way I like to. Party favors and, and just drinks up the wazoo. And I remember I'm, I'm, I'm doing stuff so often, like they can't even know about it. I'm not even telling them. I'm, like, I'm drinking so often, I'm shaking. I remember one time I had to sign some documents uh, that was on um, Bob's wife's desk. And I went to sign it, and my arm started doing the shaking bad. Nobody, I pulled my arm back, nobody noticed. I said, this is bad. And the, the document I needed to sign was on a, uh, it was on a clipboard. So I, I grabbed the clipboard. And I noticed when I brought it up here, I, I could sign. In other words, little T-Rex arms were much easier to control without shaking than a fully extended arm. So I learned things. I learned a lot of little tricks to hide my drinking, to hide how loaded I was. 
And if you're not an alcoholic, you don't need a lot of little tricks to hide, to survive, to get by, to not get in trouble. But I had tons of little tricks, just so I wouldn't have to change. And uh, it was November, Thanksgiving weekend, 2008, when I woke up in a hotel room in Ontario, and if that's it, not knowing how I got there, and if that resonates with you, welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. You, you certainly earned a seat here. Earned a seat here. Um, what had happened was, when I, I woke up in this hotel room, not knowing where I was, having to play ceiling detective yet again. All right, what ceiling is this? Where am I? This looks like a hotel room. Okay, uh, starting to come back to me. I have to go to the bathroom. And I walked past the mirror, and I looked at myself in the mirror, and I had a big black eye, uh, uh, busted nose, ripped shirt, blood. I had another knot on the side of my head. And um, it came back to me. What had happened was I was at my friend's house, my boss, my boy, since we were teenagers, since we were teenagers, a friendship over 20 years. One of the guys who's ever who's been the most awesome to me and somebody who I could honestly say I truly love. I love this guy. What had happened was the night before, he caught me behaving in a way with his wife that only he should have been behaving. Once again, integrity, character, down. Self-centeredness, sky high. Alcoholism, out of control. And uh, that was my moment of, holy shit, Vic. What's going on in your life? How is this possible? That was my moment of clarity. And um, I was at that moment, I started to think about all the red flags I'd been painting white, all the things I'd been ignoring, all the things I didn't want to admit, my shaking, my patterns, my behavior. I had to admit it. And I, it allowed me to. It allowed me finally to look at my life honestly. The spiritual principle of step one really started with me that night <clears throat> when I took an honest survey of my life and came to the, the conclusion that was clear to so many other people that my life sucked, it was out of control, and that I needed help. And so I'm fortunate in many, many ways. I, too, have a charmed life in many regards, like Joe. And one of them being is I have a brother who's a, who's a, a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so there, uh, that this happened on a Friday, Saturday. Uh, I woke up in that ho hotel room Saturday morning. I ran into my brother on a Monday night. We were both living in with my dad at, the same, at that time. And my brother had just gotten home from H&I, from, uh, from an H&I business meeting. He was at work, went to a meeting, just wants to come home, eat some food, and go to sleep. And what did he find? His 35-year-old kid brother cornering him in the kitchen, with a, still with the black eye, saying, bro, I need to talk to you. And he sized me up. He looked at me, bro, what happened to you? Nice weekend? Because the black guy. <laughs> and he'd seen me looking bad plenty of times. And there were plenty of times he wanted to rescue me. Uh, especially when he first got sober. But he had a sponsor who told him, stay out of it, but out of Vic's life. Let Victor go through what he's got to go through. You be an example of Alcoholics Anonymous, is what his sponsor told Fernando, my brother. He said, you be a good example of AA so that if Victor ever comes to that conclusion, he wants help, he'll know where to turn. And damn it, if that's exactly, if, if, if Steve Weibel didn't call it right, that's exactly what happened. And I asked my brother for help. And uh, he did for me what he had done for lots of other people, lots of other brothers, sons, sisters, fathers, mothers, cousins, children. He threw me in the car and he took me to a meeting. He took me right back to the Covina 502 Club where he just came from. He was acting on his primary purpose, helping another alcoholic in need. 
And uh, we went to that meeting. It was a four-speaker meeting. And I walked up, and I had the shiner, and, and my head was just doing this to me. Vic, you suck. You're a piece of garbage. You're never going to get this. Wait, why? How is this possible? You're a loser. Repeat. And when I walked up, people did this to me. Hey, nice to meet you. They shook my hand. They welcomed me. Some people hugged me. They said, welcome, Vic. And I sat there in that meeting, and I'm never going to forget that four-speaker meeting. I heard four people share their stories of how out of control their lives were, how much it hurt to be uh, in their skin, that they came to AA, they worked 12 steps, and their lives got better. What I heard were four messages of hope that night, and at the time when I was feeling entirely hopeless, to feel and to experience a little hope was a big deal. And I think that's one of the magic elements of H&I, being able to carry a message into a facility to somebody who's feeling so dark, so lost, so hopeless. And for us as members of Alcoholics Anonymous to come to a facility and share a little hope with somebody at that time, what a priceless gift. And um, I heard those messages of hope and I wanted that. And you guys told me this, Vic, you could have what we have if you're willing to do a few certain things. Go to a meeting every day. Um, this is a big one. Don't get loaded between meetings. Uh, get a sponsor and work these 12 steps like your life depends on it. You guys told me to chase my sobriety the same way I'd been chasing my drinking, and I chased my drinking hard. Mickey's, uh, Lucky's, I mean, I remember when Lucky's came out for a period of time of 60 ounces. Oh, there were one, or 64, just this gigantic mega 40 ounce. I was like, oh, this is a godsend at the time. And the bottom was always warm, and I did my best to not let, allow it to get warm, but that was just a lot of beer to drink at one time. But warm or not, and tastes good or bad, I'm never gonna, I would never waste alcohol. Always drink. I didn't eat two hands, but it was really big. Um, so I chased my alcoholism, and so I heard what you guys said. All right, I, I need to really get, out, get after this if I, if I want what you guys have. And so I was fired from my job. Um, my, so my brother said, hey, bro, go to the 615. When I get home at night, we'll go to a meeting. So I said, all right, I'll, I'll go to the 615. I went to the 615 meeting. My brother got home, and this is what we started to do for the next few days, 615, and then a Tuesday step study, a Wednesday book study, a Thursday 11th step meeting, followed by a men's stag step study, the Friday night speaker, the jelly bean, um, and the, some Sunday night speaker, and we were doing this, and I'm learning, and uh, I'm starting to identify, and I'm starting to hear people's stories, and I'm saying, ooh, that, that happened to me. Ooh, I'm like that. This lady shared about being an adulterer. I was like, oh, I'm an adulterer. <laughs> but she looked at ease and comfortable with when she said it. She wasn't proud, but it wasn't kicking her butt the way it was mine. And so that freedom that she had, I wanted that. That was attractive to me. You guys were attractive to me. You ever seen Les walk around, one of the most attractive people I've ever known? Yeah. Easy breezy, baby. Yeah. Cool. I wanted that. And um, it, was, uh, it was less than two weeks into this, and my brother goes, hey, bro, I, you know, hey, bro, jump in the car. Let's go to him. Let's go. I said, cool, bro. Where are we going tonight? He said, we're going on a panel. I'm less than two weeks over. I go, what's a panel, bro? He says, oh, we're going to go to a place to carry a message of recovery. Um where they can't get out. I go, right on, bro, I get to hear your story, finally. He goes, oh, no, bro, you're going to talk. I'm going to talk. I got nothing to say. What am I going to do? He said, bro, relax. We're going to a detox. You got time on it. 
you know, you took me, you took me to ARC, Sunday Night yeah. Detox. That was yeah. my first. And I went there, <laughs> and uh, there's this lady in the back kicking hard, and I was looking at them, and my brother said, just tell them what you've been doing. I go to a meeting every day, I'm listening, I'm trying to identify, uh, and I'm not drinking. He said, perfect, give them that. They'll, re they'll probably relate more to you with your few days than to me with my uh, 16 years. He has 16 more years than me. More, 16 more years than I do. And I hope to God that never changes on both of our accounts. Um, and I left that night, ARC, I left that night feeling something I hadn't felt in a long time. I felt good about myself. I felt good about something I had done. And I didn't think, and that tape that, that had still been playing for so long, the Vic, you suck. It wasn't playing so loud that night. Turns out there's some magic when it comes to being of service to others. Just like AA talks about. And I got to experience that night, and I wanted it. I felt the high of H&I, as they say. We got buttons and everything. And from that point on, I've been, thank God for this, a part of H&I. Uh, it's been a part of my recovery, and it's, I think it's no coincidence um, that I've been able to enjoy these 13 years. This is my first shot at recovery ever. So far, so good. And it has very little to do with me. All I do is try to shut my brain up and get out of the way and just allow the AA and the 12 steps to do what they do so wonderfully for millions and millions of people at this time. And I started to change. You know, my vocabulary started to change. My perception started to change. Like, for example, I began to use the word miracle. Like, a week had gone by and I hadn't touched a drop or any version of any substance. Crazy. Two weeks had gone by. A month had gone by. Uh, Christmas had gone by, and I was—I had been staying completely sober. That's crazy stuff in my world, but not in this world. And that's what I was learning. The more I began to identify with you guys and be like you, then suddenly the solution that's had, that's been working in your life was allowed to start working in mine. When I stopped being different and just be like you guys, then these magical twelve steps. Um, started to have an effect on me this willingness this willingness to go to meetings to do this the more i flexed willingness and open-mindedness the more that change could start to take place in my life the closed mind allows me to stay rigid and no change is going to take place in my life if i'm rigid and i i wanted change i, I came in with a gift of desperation a little god on my side and i'm, I'm grateful for that you know and all these corny phrases in AA that I've hated for so long. They're my tools today. They're the things that help me overcome me. Uh, and one of my favorites is uh, this too shall pass because it helps me with my fear because my fear will paint a picture that is absolute. And I've come to realize how arrogant I am with my thinking, how arrogant I am with my fear talk. I buy it as if it's 100% absolute. And it's not. More often than not, it's not. Um, and I came in really close-minded about the spiritual element of this program. I didn't want to hear about it. I was raised Catholic. I was an altar boy, all this stuff. Blech, I didn't. I had my own resentments and judgments, which is all they really are. I've been experiencing judgments towards Christianity and Catholicism, for example. And so when I saw the Lord's Prayer, ah, oh, and God is in, is in the steps, ah, oh, we hold hands, we say the Lord's Prayer, I don't want any of this, but I was out of answers. And thank God for that desperation, man. 
because that desperation brought with it a willingness to do things I didn't want to do because I was out of answers. Hello, little bug. Um, so I got a sponsor uh, shortly. Uh, it was on Christmas. It was a Christmas alcathon at the 502 Club. And I did something that day I hadn't done in a long time on my, on my way because you guys in AA are very intrusive. Hey, Victor, you got a sponsor? What step are you on? What step are you on? You got a commitment? What you got a commitment at that meeting? What step are you on? Who's your sponsor? And so about a month in, roughly, um, I said a prayer on, a, on, my, on, a way, on my way to this uh, alcathon. I said, God, please give me a sign. I guess I need to get a sponsor. That's, that's, what, that's what willingness looks like. I guess I got to do it uh, for me at that time. Actually, still, Les, hey, Victor, you want to you come speak at this meeting? I guess I got to do it, Les. But it's, it's better. It's still willingness nonetheless. Move, you all told me this, Victor, move your feet, the head will follow. Take these actions and it'll jive, it'll make sense later. Don't worry about making sense right now and then doing the actions. You're dying of alcoholism, you don't have time for it. Take these actions, trust us. And that was my journey of faith, as I began to trust you guys and what you were saying and the stories you told me. And some of you alcoholics were much worse than me, which helped a lot because like, dang, if that guy can get sober, maybe I can too. If, if, have you heard of Les's story, by the way? Yeah. If Les can do it, for example, so can I. Hope. 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 And so, God, please give me a sign for the sponsor. And I went to the Alcathon, and I was sitting in the back, just listening. And uh, this guy I'd kind of been eyeballing for a, a week or two. His name is Roy. Roy A. He walked in, and he had this brilliant purple and gold Lakers hat. And I'm a sick Lakers fan. So I was like, God, is that, is that, did you tell, is that in my sign? Like, did you kind of make it, duh, Vic? Duh. You already think Roy's cool. He's got a brilliant, brand new Lakers. And so I, I, I went up to Roy after the meeting and I, I went through that awkward, uh, excuse me, uh, Roy, do you think, um, could you, uh, would you be my sponsor? And because he said yes, the trajectory, trajectory of my life changed dramatically slowly over time but it doesn't have to be radical positive change positive growth is a beautiful thing and over time you could have dramatic differences and so slowly this journey started slowly for me um but it was powerful and i could feel it i could feel change happening i couldn't describe it i didn't understand it it's like this thing this phone i really can't describe how it works but i got complete faith in it i really can't tell people how how it it, it works and operates, but I rely on it and I use it all the time. I trust it. And that's an example of what faith looks like to me. And that spiritual connection, I, I cannot explain it. Uh, Roy told me, I want you to start saying the third step prayer and the seventh step prayer. I'm like, damn it. I don't want to start saying prayers. But I followed direction because I was desperate and willing. And I moved my feet. And over a period of time, it stopped being so contrived it stopped being so feeling so phony and it started to feel real faith ruined me i started to change and i can't identify how but i could pinpoint and feel that change was happening just like we get to hear it all the time in these rooms this plant uh, this 12-step program this gift divinely inspired gift works it works and i bought into it there's been too much evidence to not trust this program. It has given me a life that I never knew I wanted, but I always did. It's given me freedom 
happiness, tools, opportunity, um, like I never anticipated, but I found that I love and crave and yearn for. These spiritual principles allow me to be a better version of myself. Roy took me through the steps. I stayed heavily involved in H&I when I was six months sober. That sneaky sponsor of mine told me, hey, let's go on a panel. We're going to Parkside West. I said, okay, cool. The thing was, when that night came up, the Lakers were back in the finals. We had just gotten, let me tell you a story. We had just gotten beat the year before by Boston. Humiliating, poor Kobe. And now we're back in the finals. And my, the game one was about to start on Sunday. And I'm like, bro, I tell my brother, you know I'm, 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 I'm Roy's taking me to the steps. I've got commitments at a few meetings. I go all the time. I think I'm pretty dialed in, bro. Can I reschedule with Roy? Would that be okay? Please co-sign my, my, my SHIT, bro. Uh, and he said, bro, I'm not going to tell you what to do. But I'm going to tell you this. The Lakers never kept you sober. AA will. You need to make a choice. And I think at that time, a precedent was set within me and my prioritization of Alcoholics Anonymous and my prioritization of me my happiness in my life I used to be so quick to chase fun and my wants but I was I had been learning to see things differently and if I really want a life worth living I suffer from alcoholism I need AA I need these 12 steps and I chose to go on that panel and he gave me that panel and he hasn't taken it back <laughs> nor has he told me I could stop going so I've been going to it ever since uh, up until COVID but Looks like things are going to be changing soon. Um, and that, that, that really helped uh, send a message to me about willingness. About no matter what, I've got to take my medicine. I have a deadly disease that kills people that was killing me. And I don't say that frivolously. This walking death that I've been living, that alcoholics live before they get to the final death. It's cold and it's cruel and it's sad. And what it does to family members, this friend of ours that you referenced before, it was sad, sad when I got to that Monday night meeting to see the parking lot filled with paramedics and to see CPR, compressions being done on her and to watch her parents on the sideline because they go to an Al-Anon meeting to watch, to know that they're watching their daughter. This is what alcoholism does. I have, I have awe and respect for alcoholism because of its power. But I have more awe and more respect for these 12 steps because I've watched these 12 steps arrest alcoholism in people's lives. That's amazing. That's amazing, but it works. But it's something I have to do every day. I did my alcoholism every day, and I I have to, I get to, do my recovery every day. Because the life it affords me is wonderful. It's tremendous. In my recovery, I've been able to take men through the steps. I've been able to be a part of conventions, committees, serve as director for our H&I uh, uh, committee a few different times. And I got to be of service, and I've been able to watch the light come back in people's eyes. And I've been able to play a part of helping some other people and, and doing things that are beautiful and bigger than me. I've been able to learn how to live a life not so freaking self-centered, to be a little bit less, which is, which is winning in my book. That spiritual component that I ran from for so long is now the most important part of my life. It allows me to be a better version of myself. These spiritual principles, uh, honesty, hope, willingness, courage, integrity, uh, 
perseverance, brotherly love, um, service, spirituality. These, and when I'm able to live by these principles, my life gets, I get to cause less harm <laughs> and I get to enjoy things. I get to be, um, I get to be peaceful and happy inside. I, in sobriety, I was able to go back to school. I went to the University of Laverne. I got a bachelor's degree. It turns out, as a sober man, I'm a good student, and I don't need to go to school forever uh, to get a degree, just the normal amount of time. And I use these principles. that I show up early. I work hard. I raise my hand. I talk to people. I push past fear because you guys have been showing me how. Lack of power had been my dilemma for so, so long, but being able to find a power greater than myself to, that allows me to be a better version of myself is something I get to enjoy when I humble myself, when I quiet myself, when I listen. And I've been able to get married in, in recovery. You know, we, we fell in love. I proposed to her on Valentine's Day of 2015. We got married in November of that year and a wedding that we weren't financially ready for, but you guys were and people. And hey, Vic, how about this house? Hey, Vic, we'll make a cake for you and all these blessings and love and blessings and love. And it was the best day of my life. We went on a hunt until the birth of our daughter. And we went on a honeymoon in New York. And we're on the honeymoon. We went to meetings because my wife knows the score. The man she loves is the man she loves because of AA. Because of AA. And so I try. I can't afford to lose sight of what's gotten me here, what's allowed me to enjoy this life. It's you guys. It's my higher power, our higher power, whatever you want to call it. Him, her, I don't care. But I pray every day to try to lessen this ego and this pride of mine and this fear that will destroy me. And I get to be a father today to this little five-year-old girl. And she's my everything. I kiss her at night on her head or her big chubby cheeks and I rub her, her back. And we play games. And I get to work all day long and drive in an hour in traffic and come home and not rest for a single moment because she wants to play because she deserves a father she deserves a loving and kind father she deserves something better than that scary home that i was raised in and she's getting it and that's a direct result of these 12 steps and the man i get to be on a daily basis as long as i take my medicine as long as i stay plugged in she'll get that father she'll get that better version of a me the man who's able to surrender certain things when i start to get too angry with her because she's not responding the way she should and she needs to learn Vic, you're scaring her calm down maybe some of the lessons i don't need to teach her are aren't obey your father versus trust your father you're safe with your father your father loves you how about those lessons because that's what you guys taught me these lessons of love these lessons of service they're greater than me they're better than me but they get to be a component of me when i listen to you guys when i trust you guys and when i do what you guys do. And I have complete faith that if I continue to do these things, I'll be able to enjoy these blessings for a long, long time. Life isn't problem-free, but I got tools in you guys that I get to lean on when times are tough. As long as I stay willing to do certain things. And me coming here and speaking with you guys, you've allowed me to uh, share my story. And you've helped me a lot more than I helped you. And for that, I owe you all a debt of gratitude. Thank you guys for letting me share.
something just talk to Fernando and just bring it you know uh, I'm your grapevine rep and, and tomorrow is uh, the chili cook-off I want to tell you that in 1975 it wasn't for H&I I don't think I'd be here H&I came in and I'll never forget and they had a smile on their face and a, and their, a glow around their head and I was chopping their head off <laughs> But things change, just like you said. You know, we could do this deal together. If you're new, just stick around. Keep showing up. We're here every day. We have a meeting at 9 o'clock and at noon. And we're here every Friday night. If you want to get involved, get be of service. That's how I get out of myself. Be of service to others. Because that way I don't have to think so much about myself, you know. So anyway, here's the grapevine. I have two grapevines. What we do is... I'll give I'll give one away. You guys guys could read it, bring it back, so I could give it back out again. But I have one here from 1973. Oh, one. Once over lightly. Self forgiveness. That's a good one. Anybody want to come up and get this? Come on up here. All right, Mike. Way to go. Became the secretary of the grapevine meeting on um, Thursday in San Dimas. So if you guys want to come help me read this, okay. hi. Yeah. What time on Thursday? Okay, here's another one. Here's a grapevine. It's, it's, it's this month's edition. It's funny how everything works is in the right time. A night at the yard. It's a prison edition. You know and. I, I read a story in here. It reminded me of me when I used to, was sleeping on the runway in the old county. <laughs> they used to come by with a cart, right? And, and you'd reach through and grab one. And this guy was locked down in prison, and the cart came by, and he went like this, and here it was, the grapevine, meeting in a print. You know, this 